It's Friday, April 6, 2018, and you're listening to episode 481 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 56 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Eric. And my name is Chad. This is Aisha. All right. So let's see. Real quick here. First off, Jason's Kickstarter for There and Back Again, a collection of essays on how real life and travel have impacted gaming, which will include contributions from several booters, including me. Kickstarter for that still going on. Check the show notes for a link to that. Uh, second thing, kind of in a similar vein is we ran a poll on our Patreon asking how people felt about us flattening the levels to make backing Fear the Boot a little bit easier. Because we had more levels than a buffet, man. It was just like a smorgasbord of options to choose from. It was a little hard for us to keep up with, and on top of that, we had a lot of underutilized levels. Yeah, so I pledged thirty two ninety seven. then Dan will call you up and sing Christmas carols to you twice a year. Yes, <laughs> Was there a limit to those? No, that was Dang. the problem. <laughs> once once in Christmas and once in Febtober. Mm-hmm. Febtober. <laughs> More levels than an EA pre-order package. Oh, timely. Ooh. But what we did is we flattened that so there are now two levels. That's it. At the $1 level, which is mm-hmm. where we're going to keep you in the loop on things we're contemplating, things we're doing. We will give polls to you guys to help us decide. Like this poll we just did. Like, yeah, well, the poll we just did. We've done other polls, too. And then at the $5 level, we call that the all-access level. Mm -hmm. So at the $5 level, you now get everything. So you get the GM confessionals, you get the show raws, you get the negative episodes. No PBS tote bags, though. No tote bags. This is just audio. Well, there's some video, but mostly audio. Some scanned papers like game notes and such. If you want to contribute to the show at a level that's higher than those two reward levels, so somewhere greater than $1 or somewhere greater than $5, we are deeply appreciative. You know, we really, really are humbled by and love you for giving us that support, but we are not going to require it. So if up to this point, you've not been backing us on Patreon, we hope now that things have been simplified and you can get more bang for your buck that you will consider jumping on and showing us love on Patreon, which is money that we use purely to support the show. We use it to pay Aisha to do the editing. We use it to buy audio equipment like the omnidirectional mic that does our actual plays. The chairs we sit on. Yeah, the chairs that are killing us. Destroying our asses like a prison shower. And so, yeah, thank you guys for that. That's out there. And we do utilize the tastemaker thing as well. Yeah, we we really do. do. And if we have ideas or, or, you know, sort of off the cuff things that we want to, we think might work, but we're not sure, we will pitch it over to the guys in the Patreon. Yeah. You guys break our analysis paralysis. And also with the stuff. And call us on our bullshit. Yeah. And with the stuff for the actual plays, we're going to start doing more of that over there. So if we have an NPC that's open or. We're not sure on a plot direction. We're going to be putting up polls about that stuff. So good stuff over there. Check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you just want to hear it, it's patreon.com slash fear the boot. Fear the boot is all one word. Pick- Hold on a second. I, I just want to express my sorrow that I missed out on the ass blaster chairs. <laughs> I had two I- things to point out. One is that prison shower isn't the worst because there's lube in there. There's soap. Second of all, <laughs> we could also vote on what kind of curse I put on Brodor. 
I'm also thinking for one of these negative episodes while we're waiting on Brodor's foulness to return, <laughs> we need to do a mass tarot reading or maybe a Ouija reading. And I'm thinking like we need to do things, obviously one on Brodor just to freak him out, obviously. put some kind of spell. Why do you guys want to freak the poor man out? I, dude, oh, I'm gonna, it's so sad to watch you guys bully him. It I really well, wait until you do my master plan right now is since their store miniature market does among other things kind of ding and dent games i intend to go buy a ouija board put a sticker like a price tag on it mark it up as being like from the children's wing at coke hospital or something like that and just slip it into the shelves while he's on shift are you an ass because i'm a terrible person (laughs) you are but i think we also need a tarot reading for gnarl we we, we don't we don't have we have no idea what his future is so we need to get that in there and no, 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 Dan, it's not because you're a terrible person. It's because like we're sadists. It's perfection for us to torment someone like this. Uh huh. I'm sorry you missed the ass blaster chase Man, too. I am. No, you're not sorry. <laughs> they, they really genuinely hurt. All right. So banter topic. I swear, and I'm not going to do this for lack of time right now, but I swear I could start an entire podcast about my dreams. And when I say dreams, I mean like the dreams I have while I'm asleep. Okay. I'm not talking about my dreams like I hope to be an astronaut. I don't mean that. I'm talking what I see while I am asleep. You want to know how messed up my dreams are? All right, and this is a result, I know, of the anxiety meds that I'm on. Because one of the side effects is they give you really vivid dreams. And so I have these dreams that are super vivid. At the time, no matter how nonsensical they are, they feel really realistic. And when I wake up, I have an extremely good memory of them. I don't forget them within moments of waking up like people normally do. And if you want to know how messed up my mind is, I had a trifecta of beautiful things in a dream last night. I had this dream that I was a superhero. I had a hot Asian girlfriend and I was at Lake Loch Ness with one of these like Discovery Channel expeditions. And I was successfully hauling up the Loch Ness monster out of the Loch Ness to be filmed. And I was beating its ass because I'm a freaking superhero. So even like, you know, a plesiosaur, whatever, what's it going to do to me? It can't do anything. And yet this was a nightmare. It was profoundly frightening and almost turned into something called sleep paralysis, which is where you're like aware of your surroundings, but still feel these presences and such. And like, I could feel the Loch Ness monster like there with me in in the room. And I don't understand that. How can you have a trifecta of three beautiful things of your superhero? You have a hot Asian girlfriend and you're wrecking the shit out of a cryptid. And yet it's still a nightmare. Cause it followed you home. I don't have dreams like this. <laughs> this should have been like the happiest dream I've ever had. I'm sorry. And it wasn't. <laughs> I know I did have a dream once where I was dating Madonna. That was a nightmare. And I understand why, <laughs> but why was this a nightmare? What is wrong with me? I I don't know. <laughs> You're a weird ass. I don't know. <laughs> so what kind of superhero were you? Were like a Batman? That's what you usually are. No, it was it was Superman type. Yeah, it was more of a Superman type, not yeah. in the tights. It was a like more like a loose fitting and fully enclosed suit. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, I don't know. Like, sh- like suit is in diving suit or suit is in like Armani suit. No, neither. It was like a oh, track suit. No, it was not a dress. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like cigarettes I, and squats yeah, on the edge of Black Ness. Yeah, I, I was like a Russian mobster. I was wearing a track suit that was unzipped halfway down. And 
No, I, I, maybe I should have like Keith Curtis or somebody do a character sketch of, <laughs> of what Dan's dream world super, because this is not the first time I've dreamt of myself being that superhero. So like maybe I should have Keith Hurts or somebody do a character sketch of this. Oh, so, so we have an expanded universe now. We do. <laughs> and and uh, since all these other alternate Earths, at least I think in Marvel and maybe DC, are supposed to be spinoffs of the thoughts that occur in Earth Zero, Earth Prime, which is this Earth, somewhere out there in another universe is me as that superhero. So what were your superpowers? I mean, general stuff, Just Superman punching, super ish. Punching, yeah, yeah I mean, strength yeah. and vulnerability, sure. flight, general Superman ish sort of powers. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as fast as Superman mm-hmm. in terms of flat speed or reaction speed. You know, it wasn't like time slows down for me. So I was still like a human, but just imagine being a regular human except for near total and vulnerability, really high strength and, you know, that kind of stuff. Huh. So you're Terry Crews? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly except there was nobody grabbing you know, my balls you know he's gonna be a mutant in the next deadpool movie uh, is like, that is it deadpool yeah yeah it's deadpool, deadpool yeah. Too. he's gonna be yeah Wh- who's he playing uh some i mean it's gonna be uh, awesome no matter who it is I can't it's, remember a, the name, it's a guy who can like it's like someone i had never heard of before now yeah it's a total b-lister it's somebody who can like take kinetic energy and re distributed it's like eight mutants to do yeah that. and then they like upped his power level in the comics to where he manipulate people's minds with the em i don't know it, 80s were a weird time so mm. that's anyway. terry cruz i'm all, i know i I'm mean in. to me he it's terry cruz playing terry cruz so i'm down yeah. well they talked about him being in the next expendables movie mm. and i desperately want that because expendables one and three okay expendables two was outstanding. Everybody needs to see Expendables 2. Also, I just saw a movie that I think it's one of those movies like Moon that if somebody doesn't point it out to you, you will never see it. But if you've not seen it, you need to go watch it. And it's called something to the effect of what we do in the shadows. Wait, wait, wait. You did a oh, huge buildup and you don't even know what the name of the movie well, is? Well, I can ballpark it. It's <laughs> okay. It's- you know, Dawn used to work at a bookstore. And she would have people come in all the time and say, hey, I'm looking for a book. Oh, okay. We can help you find it. We got tons of books. We can look at computer. No problem. What's it called? It's like, oh, I don't remember the name. No problem. Author? No, I don't remember the author. Well, I mean, it, uh, it was blue. It's a mystery. Yeah, it, it was a blue book. It had <laughs> yeah, a blue cover. The, the first uh-huh. line was about somebody in a closet. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no. I, it was something to the effect of, it's what we do in shadows or what we do in, what the, we do in the shadows. That's what a, we do in these shadows. Okay. That's a cult classic. It, no, it's a classic period. You can you can take the cult out of it. It is just a classic period. If it's a cult classic, it's only because more people outside of the cult have not discovered it yet. It is outstanding. It is this total dry, super dry humor. Is that the it's a vampire? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, about yeah, yeah. a yeah. family, a dysfunctional group of of vampires that are living in this house as like flatmates and just all the nonsense that goes on. And it's one of those movies that like being human kind of like that. Yes. Except this it's, it's similar, but not the same. And it is great. It, It reminded me in terms of the type of humor, a lot of like hot fuzz or Shaun of the dead where it's that very, it's not British, but it's that very British sort of mix of absurdism and dry humor. Hmm. And it's just this deadpan, realistic approach to things that are not deadpan or realistic. Hmm. And it's very well executed. It is freaking hilarious. Yeah, I and, can absolutely recommend it as well. 
in fact, the line that I tweeted out under Fear of the Boots account of we're werewolves, not swear wolves, that <laughs> was from that movie. It is an outstanding movie. So go see that. Go see Moon. And then after you're done watching <laughs> Moon, go watch What We Do in the Shadows. Another great line from that movie is, um, if you were going to eat a sandwich, I guess you would just enjoy it more if you knew that nobody had f***ed it. (laughs) Nobody put their dick in it, I think, was the exact line. But either way, it's things for you to bleep. So, Chad, topic for today. Okay, so the topic I have, the role-playing topic, not the movie, video game, whatever the hell else we're talking about topic. Nightmares about it. Nightmares, yeah, superheroes, and Loch Ness Monsters and such. Boffing Nessie. Yeah, and ass-blasting chairs. (laughs) Yes. Have you guys ever encountered a player who pads their role? And now when I say pads their role, I don't mean that in a mechanical sense. I don't mean they have to roll above a 10 and... They're trying to get, you know, it's like, oh, well, I've got this skill that gives me a plus. I've got this. I'm not talking mechanically. Right. That's a min-maxer. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking about somebody who, the the example I gave. And we're also not talking about a cheater. No, no, yeah, not not cheater any at all. But the example is like, you have a player where you say, okay, there's this old guy and he's a guard and his back's to you and he's kind of walking his patrol route and you got to get past him. And you're not sure you can get past him. He'll probably see you. And he he has a gun. He has a pistol and a holster. And your player's like, okay, well, it's dark, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's nighttime and there's not a whole lot of light and such. It's like, okay, well, I want to sneak up behind him and I want to pull his gun out of his holster. I'm like, okay, you know, that's fair. Yeah, that's a very role play sort of thing to do. Make a stealth roll. Or something like that. Make a jelly, whatever you say. it, And then normally you set a difficulty or however your rules are, and then they roll it. But I'm talking about the player where you have that exact same thing. You're like, okay, we'll make a stealth roll. And then they start padding it. What they're trying to do is make an out for themselves. They're saying, well, it's just one guy. Yeah, yeah, it's just one guy. And you said that it's a concrete floor. We're in a warehouse, right? Like, yeah, so it's not like a wooden floor. It's going to creak. Right. Well, okay, I want you to know that I'm wearing my soft leather boots without any hard sole. Uh, okay, well, that's not going to really get you anything on the roll. Can you make the roll? It's like, okay, and then remember, too, that the, you, this guy is really tall. You say he's really tall. It's like, and I'm really short, so if he turns around, he's not going to see me directly. It's going to take a minute. Uh Okay, and I want to make sure that I'm taking his gun. I'm not actually going to touch him. So I'm taking his gun. And so even if I mess it up, you know, he's not going to know what's going on. And it's just somebody who keeps adding these these sort of things to it again. And not in like a fate sort of way where they're trying to spin fate points to add tags to a scene, but just somebody who is trying to make it to where when they finally do the role, they have defined so much of the scene that they tell you what happens. And the reason they're doing it is so that they either succeed or they don't fail. It's unspeakably annoying, I will say. And it's never just so something simple as, I'm going to grab the guy's gun, but if he notices me, I'm just going to punch him. Right. It, it's it's always like simple like that. There's always contingencies upon contingencies upon contingencies. Well, I think, at least in my experience, there's a slightly different motivation to it. Well, maybe not a different motivation, but a different execution to it, which is it's not padding the role so much as it's trying to sell it to the game master that I'm trying to convince you that the target number for this should be as unbelievably gentle as it can Mm -hmm. possibly be. And here's all these reasons why, you know, that I ought to 
have it in my favor because it's a concrete floor. I'll take my shoes off. I'll slow down the action. That's one I hear a lot Mm -hmm. is I'll spend two or three rounds prepping this. Let's use your example of I'm going to grab his gun. I'm going to study his holster to see what kind of yeah. holster is. Does it have a snap? Is it what they call a three-point holster, or is it more of an open holster? You know, oh, my God. <laughs> As a game master, I'm already, like, rolling my Like, I just want you to f***ing roll. Yeah, and, but they're trying to sell it to the game master yeah. to get the best possible roll that they can get once they go to actually do it. And I am going to say that as annoying as it is, I actually accept it, even as a game master, to a point. Because I think it is fair well, if somebody for says, a character to, des- to decide that they're going to do something deliberately and carefully yeah. as opposed to hastily. And I think that's a fair distinction. I mean, that, that's like, that's a moderate view. That, that's and and I accept that you know if I set up the situation they say okay well I'm I'm going to take my shoes off so I don't clomp around on the floor sure yeah, good idea you make your roll and you know we'll take that into account but it, it's the endless escape plans contingencies like Aisha said you know and if he sees me I immediately punch him so that I get you know a jump on initiative and it's just constant right it's a ne- it's negotiating for stacking bonuses you know so. Uh, I I actually call that, uh, it kind of ties into something else that I like to say, is you can power game with role play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yep. And games like Dungeon World are big on this one. And people, I'm probably going to get hmm. death threats in the mail because I'm saying this because, you know, how dare I disparage Dungeon World. But you can talk your way around any situation. And you keep ta- the more you talk, the better your situation mm-hmm. gets. And, yeah, you can keep adding these bonuses and bonuses and bonuses or, you know, taking away the difficulty and lowering it to the point where the difficulty is zero. And that's power gaming. I, yeah, the other way around, you're, you're adding bonus stats and you're adding all this other stuff. That's power gaming. You're just doing it the other way with your role play. Well, I mean, and people play to their strengths. And when I say people, I'm talking about the player, not the character. Some people do it through the math via min-maxing. Other Mm -hmm. people do it at the social level or the metagame level because they know they may not be able to do the math, but they feel they have a better chance of selling the game master or hoodwinking the game (laughs) master into certain things. And I'll tell you straight up, just as there are some people that are better at manipulating the math than others, there are some people that are better just with their wits Mm -hmm. than others. And so that's how they play the metagame is they don't get into the, well, I've got this skill and this feat and this piece of equipment and each of them gives me a plus one, but together that's a plus I can't fail. And instead they say, you know, I'm going to sell this to you in a way to where I can't fail or it sounds like I can't fail. But there's a difference between coming up with a good solid plan or coming up with a clever idea in the moment and just stacking contingencies. It's beating a dead horse is what it is doing. Absolutely. The one key to averting this that I found is like making it clear to the players from the start that you can't talk about your actions for like 10 minutes. The guy's going to turn around and you now you have to make a roll to either hide behind a crate or go for the gun after all. It's like you've just got to end it. (laughs) Yep. Right. I think it also depends on the game that you're playing, too, because if Mm. you're playing fifth edition D&D, you can tell me all day long all the cool crap that you're doing. Yeah. You're still only going to get advantage. 
Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. or you're only, only still going to get disadvantage if you're, and I found that, like with that, you, you know, you're right. You know, it's like you only get advantage or you only get disadvantage, and they they make the the pitch for advantage. Cool, that's fine. Okay, you got advantage. And if they fail the roll, and this is what really, really irritates me a lot, is not the sell to get the advantage. That's just playing the game. But when they make the roll and they fail, and you're like, oh, okay, the guard turns around and he's putting his hand on his gun, and and then they start activating all their contingencies they said it's like a Yu-Gi-Oh where it's like haha you stepped into my trap card and then it's just like well this <laughs> and I do this and I do this well remember well you said that it's a large gun so he can't pull it out quick and then I don't have my shoes on which means I'm going to pirouette out of the way because uh, I don't have my big heavy boots and then you said this and then remember I said this, I defined it, and it's just like, dude, shut the f*** up. He's just going to shoot you. Come on, take right. your bullet right. like a man, and we'll keep going here. Right. And as a game master, you just say, okay, he's going to shoot you in your left eye, and just do it right back at him, so that way right. the bad guy gets all these extra Not points. my left eye. I took a disadvantage of only having one eye. You know, I've, I've generally, I've seen this happen. I've generally not had a problem with players on this because of the fact that I enjoy at least currently a very good relationship Mm -hmm. with my players. And I tend to go to the gentle side of target numbers anyway, unless there's an obvious reason why it ought to be difficult. You're a cheerleader for your player. Yeah. Well, and if somebody says they're going to do, they're going to be careful. I'll take that into mind. Absolutely. Eric, I remember there was a couple times where in the skies of glass campaign, you would do, chained rolls and what i mean by that is you would say something like before you would actually go to hide you would first do a check to look for hiding places right and then you would go to hide and i would take that into account and to me that's fair to me that's completely reasonable you are spending time to do it right versus hastily jumping into the first bush you see and hoping it doesn't have you know a hole in the branches or but what eric doesn't do is he makes his hide roll or whatever, and he fails it, and the other person makes the opposed roll and wildly succeeds. He doesn't then say, okay, he spotted you. Oh, oh but does he? Remember, I'm in a camouflage jacket, yeah, and well, okay. I'm really yeah. good at this. And that's something else he doesn't do is he yeah. does like, okay, so I'm going to make You've activated a, my trap car. I'm going to make a ghillie suit, and now I'm going to dig a pit trap, and now I'm going to look for a place yeah. to hide. And, and, and then I'm going to look for a place. I'm going to try to lay something out that uh, will graphically distract their attention toward the wrong bush because of the way the human eye works. But wait, Dan, you said that this guy had glasses and this is the SOG universe. So we don't have lens crafters. So that means that these are homemade glass, which means the refractor rate is blah, 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 blah. And it's like, <laughs> dude, dude. Petition to rename this episode trap card. Trap, trap card. card. <laughs> You've stepped in my trap card. <laughs> But, you know, it's funny is talking about adding level of mm-hmm. details and things like that. I've had it where I've played in games where you're playing with somebody who's really good at negotiating and yeah. and, and just talking, oration, all that stuff. And they're going to sit there and they're going to do this, you know, large soliloquy about mm-hmm. uh, this to try and woo whatever NPC. And then instead of saying, okay, well, ro- now great soliloquy, you know, Barry. <laughs> But let's roll the dice now 
Yeah. Game Master will go, you know what? That was so good. I'm not going to make you roll. That never happens with a physical thing. Yeah. You know, it's you describe how cool you do something. You still have to boil it down to a roll. Right. And I, I think that, you know, in that situation, if you allow the social, then you probably should allow the physical as well. Have you guys ever encountered anyone who laid out these trap cards and did all of these contingencies and stacked all these bonuses so that they would fail? Like, like almost like a voluntary fail. Yeah. Like, because that's the thing is that to me, failing is as interesting as succeeding. And that doesn't mean succeeding sucks. Succeeding's great. And failing from failure comes a good story. I have never seen anyone do this. I've never seen them. Somebody say, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to sneak up on the guy, you know, take his gun. And does it, is there concrete floors? Like, yeah, there's concrete floors. Well, you know what? My guy, he doesn't really think quite clearly. And so he forgets to take off his big clompy boots. <laughs> have like, I seen it? Yes. Have I seen I've it? I've never once seen it. I have, but only in the context of con games and comedy games. But in the context of a long, ongoing, serious campaign, no, I've not seen it. Here's some strategies I found for countering this. Number one, start making them roll on the contingencies. <laughs> roll with consequence. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look at the guard's holster. Okay, you're staring at the guard's holster. Let's roll to see if just by pure coincidence he turns around while you're doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and sets this whole thing awry. And I mean, maybe it's not even a high roll. It doesn't have to be. I can make a roll that I'm probably going to fail, but it starts to make them nervous because they're already taking risks and they're trying to mitigate risk. Right. And I'm adding risk. I'm going to take my shoes off. Well, Well, I don't know about you. I can't kick off my shoes in 10 seconds. Yeah. I say you now need to take time. You have to make a little bit of noise. Uh, You're in a concrete floored warehouse in the bad part of town. Are you sure you want to do that when there's a good chance there's glass or mm-hmm. a nail or something you, on the floor? Just and ask it, them if they've had their tetanus shot. Yeah, and, <laughs> and if it's fate, I might even put an aspect on the scene right. of it's a junky warehouse. Mm-hmm. And so now I might later come back and use this against you. And so you start, and once again, it doesn't have to be big. Because you don't have to totally cock block them. And I think the game master can be. You're not be. trying to drop a hammer on them and try and stop them. I mean, they are being clever. Yeah, they're you, thinking. They're just You're trying too to much. discourage an abuse. Right. And once again, if a player is just trying to be deliberate in what they do and once try and convince you that their action deserves a fair chance, get behind that. Don't be a jerk to your players. But when they're abusing it, that's what we're talking about here. When they're abusing it, mm-hmm. I think one good way is to start giving them the very thing they're trying to avoid. Hell, you don't even have to be actually rolling toward anything. If you're like, you're going to look at his holster, okay, it takes a few seconds. And you just drop two dice on the table <laughs> and look at them and then nod and say, mm-hmm. okay, what else are you going to do? <laughs> it doesn't even matter what you just rolled. It could right. be a pair of weather dice. You just rolled <laughs> snowflake and thunderstorm. And it means nothing. And it, it doesn't matter. But you just start getting them nervous. So they mm-hmm. start moving, get, get moving, getting to the point. Be like, look, dude, I get it. You're preparing. I'll give you a bonus of two points on your roll for the preparation you're doing or whatever it is. That's yeah, a, let's, let's abstract this out. Yeah, or I'll give you, if it's D&D 5e, I'll give you advantage. You know, whatever it is. I'll yeah, give and it- when you're sweating your players as a GM and rolling dice, uh, like a lot of people are like, well, I don't like online sessions versus in person because you can't really do that 
No, you can do that. You can hold that up to the microphone or roll nothing and roll 20 visibly, and they will slash roll d20. What was that for? No, don't you worry about it. You tell me. What else you got? What other contingencies you got? Or, you know what? You can bluff them. I tell you, one of the most destructive things a game master has, one of the most horrifying tools in the game master toolkit is your 10 fingers. And all you got to do is hold up your 10 fingers and say, okay, you better describe this because something's about to happen. And you just start counting your fingers down. Nine, Mm -hmm. eight, seven, Mm -hmm. six. Five, four. Now, you may have nothing in mind for what occurs in right. 10 seconds. Now, maybe in 10 seconds, the guard turns around. Maybe in 10 seconds, another guard walks into the room. Maybe in 10 seconds, you say, okay, time's up. You have to make the roll for whatever reason. Maybe you have no plan at all. But the moment you start counting down, you start to put pressure on that player psychologically to get to the point. Because once again, what they're probably trying to do is to mitigate risk and you have now given them the sense that what they're doing is actually making their situation worse, not better. And you have to be careful with that tool, though, because if you have a player who's doing that all the time and then you use the 10 finger tool all the time, suddenly change it up. Yeah. Be unpredictable. Right. You know, let him have a couple or even ask them to even ask some leading questions. Great leading questions that mean nothing. You sure you want to do that? Uh, have you yeah. looked at the floor? What makes you think this guard is human? <laughs> yeah. Did I make you roll perception already? Yeah, I did, exactly. <laughs> if I if I had you check against illusion yet, or what's your sanity? Yeah, what's your sanity? <laughs> exactly. There's all this lovely stuff. You, can, uh, does your character have the tech goggles that see in the IR spectrum? No. Okay. What does this even mean? I mean, what are you even getting at? Maybe nothing at all. But you could also be really passive aggressive with it, too, where you just. Dude, all my solutions for this are passive aggressive. (laughs) All your solutions to life are passive aggressive. (laughs) Well, so just let them go. I mean, just let them. I mean, if if you you, have nothing for it. (laughs) I mean, hey, no. Let them have everything they want. Let them go on for 30 solid minutes of how they're padding this thing. They're setting up all their trap cards. They've got this whole thing planned out. I mean, it's like a Mission Impossible thing by the time they're done. And it's like, okay, roll. Hey, shocking. You made it. You've got his gun. He turns around. So I menace him. I miss. I was like, okay, you tell me what I want to know because I'm pointing my gun at you or your gun at you and you're unarmed. And he just starts laughing. Why is he laughing? Well, why don't you ask? Why are you laughing? Because I'm just a low-paid guard. I don't want to hurt anybody. There's no damn bullets in that gun. Come on. And then he right. whips out a, a nightstick or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, what maybe is, he wants to hurt you. You know what actually has helped me is it's not even that I have to be passive-aggressive directly so much as... I'm going to ask a rhetorical question here because obviously the answer is going to be yes. Have you ever done anything irresponsible with fireworks or firecrackers? <laughs> See, the one thing you have to be most careful about when you're being irresponsible with fireworks and firecrackers is the wick. Because when you're playing with those wicks, you know, winding them together so 20 of them go off at once, which is how you're supposed to do it, Mm -hmm. is you can fray the wick while doing that. And then what happens is when you light it, instead of burning at a certain rate, it burns down really fast and goes off in your hand. This happened to me once. <laughs> I still have use of my hand, so I'm lucky, okay? But it did numb my hand for a little bit. But it can fray the wick. Mm-hmm. And so you know if the wick is frayed from the moment you ignite it 
to the moment it hits down to the explosive and goes off is a really short period of time. Now, here's the point of that metaphor. In most of my gaming groups, that frayed wick is chat. (laughs) (laughs) If we use an example of, we have an empty chair here. So empty chair player X is stacking all this stuff, is taking forever and a day to get to the point of trying to grab the guard's gun. I know that frayed wick is burning down, and any second now, Chad's going to be like, I walk up to the guard and grab his gun, or I walk up to the guard and deck him, or I walk up to the guard of the clipboard and say, aren't you supposed to be on floor three right now? <laughs> I know this. Mm-hmm. I, You know, all these other passive-aggressive plans and and bluffs, and maybe even real contingencies that I have to think through, I know are all secondary and will probably never be used. Because I know that Chad's very, very short egg timer (laughs) has already started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not just the GM that can dispel this. If if you see this in your group, you too can walk up to that person with a clipboard and your, you know, hard hat that provides a plus 20 to your disguise roll because, you know, hard hat. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, because mm-hmm. if you're wearing a hard hat, that's not combat gear. You must work here. That's right. right. Hard hat and clipboard. You get away with anything. Oh, my God. That means they're in, like, construction. That means something's I, broken. I don't want to be around here. I walk around at work with a clipboard. Nobody ever talks to me. Yeah. That's right. Red hat, high-vis, and a clipboard will get you into literally oh, yeah. any non-secure installation. And maybe mm-hmm. some secure installations. Sometimes I watch these DEF CON talks, and one of them was talking about how this guy printed up just like this super cheap laminated fake AT&T badge and walked inside of a high security skyscraper, went jacked into the target site's router. And here's the thing. AT&T doesn't service their building. Hmm. You don't even have to be the right organization. You can just <laughs> just wander in. Wander in. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's a contractor. Everybody's a sub, 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 subcontractor. Yeah. I work. Nobody mo- wants to rock the boat. My yeah. very, very first IT job, I was a sub, sub, subcontractor. I was three subs down, and I was told if anyone asked, I was to tell them that I worked for AT&T and did not answer classified off the newspaper. <laughs> See, the most powerful weapon I've had in that arsenal is the press pass. Yeah. Because with a press pass, people just assume you're either supposed to be where you're going mm-hmm. because there's somebody higher up the chain that wants you there, or they're concerned about what you might say if they don't allow you to do it. The number of doors I have walked through at conventions. The number of things I have gone into when they were supposed to be closed and off limits just by flashing the press pass and walking through is well, amazing. In a convention, there's a large amount of chaos going on. Yeah. And then imagine you're a lone security guy. Now you're a volunteer. You're not getting paid. You're a nerd. You want to put in your four hours so you get your comp ticket. You don't have time to parse 20 different levels of security. You're either the great unwashed masses or everybody gets in the door. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You either have a general admission badge or a non-general admission Mm -hmm. badge. It's one of those two things. Either you are a regular attendee or you are something else. And something else's are generally supposed to be where they're supposed to be. They know where they're going. Yeah. And they know that better than you do. Something else is there's somebody else's problem. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying, Chad, about uh, stacking the mm. deck against yourself. I think the fundamental difference between people who do that and don't is that I think there is that insecurity and fear yeah. of failure. So to do it the other way around would have to be somebody 
who is either really story oriented and thinks like you do mm-hmm. in that failure sometimes is sometimes is more fun right than success because people who do these power gaming to mm-hmm. the nth degree and things like that a lot of times in their past or whatever they've experienced like crippling failure and they don't want to feel ineffectual or ineffective i should say so they do these things to keep from failing i play with a guy on a routine basis who does this Mm -hmm. he not only does he you know min max he also stacks the deck and he also cheats (laughs) so it's one of these things and i've known him for years and years and years yeah and it's one of those things where just finally after a while i'm just like dude really you know (laughs) Yeah. I, if you if you want to succeed all the time, play a game where you always succeed, you know, like 7th C or something, you know. Right. But he doesn't want to play that game because he wants to have that advantage. In some cases, I think the game master causes this. Oh, yeah. Because the game master creates... Or past game masters. Like yeah, or past game masters. Yeah, the, the, the past gaming traumas cause this by virtue of giving the players a sense that the game master is so adversarial mm-hmm. or is going to be so nitpicky that if they don't stack these million things up, that either they're guaranteed to fail or the role's going to be so absurd they might as well be guaranteed to fail. And there have been times I have done this, not recently, thankfully, but there have been times I've done this where I knew what I was doing was preempting the game master. Yeah. That I knew if I didn't say something like, to use the current example, I take my shoes off, mm-hmm. the game master is going to pull some dick move like, oh, well, your shoes are clippy-clop on the floor and creaking leather and whatever. And so I'm laying out the, okay, I'm not wearing any bells. Mm -hmm. I I empty my pockets of change. I'm looking for trip wires. And I'm not doing these things to stack a roll in some kind of, I want to guarantee my success. Mm -hmm. It's more, I want a fair roll. And this is the only way I'm going to get it is if, if I just annoy the game master to the point they finally give up and say okay instead of a 25 plus you need an 8 plus well and i've seen you you do another thing that it, it admittedly it annoys me but i get why you do it, it for those reasons you know you had a well abusive game masters yeah. in the past oh, who were unfair for you but i've seen you do it to where the game master does not present a challenge for you like the guard or something like that everything is fine everything is baseline we're just role playing and doing stuff. And then you want to do something. And you know that when you say, okay, I would like to do X, well, X will lead to a challenge and a role and a whatever. The game master does not know you're going to do that. From the game master's perspective, it's baseline role playing. We're not doing roles. No one's touching dice. You know that your action is going to cause this. So you start setting the scene preemptively to guarantee success or escape or something like that I'm trying to think of like I, well, I i'll give you an example yeah. of this this was not a game that you were in but this was relatively recent a year maybe two years ago mm-hmm. when i was playing that fantasy flight edge of the empire game and i was playing an ex-imperial assassin or an mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what he was exactly like the bounty hunter assassin something court eunuch whatever yeah <laughs> sure whichever you know <laughs> and one of the things that I did was we were sent in by the rebels to take out an Imperial officer. So treason then? Well, yeah, that, I mean, I'd already switched sides. So the mm. treason was already that, that was, that already happened. Mm. And we went down to the planet and he was doing an inspection of a base. And the base was going to be kind of hard to get into. 
So I start laying this out. Ed was the game master. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Ed, okay, I'm going to walk the area. I'm going to walk the perimeter of the base in the public area. This is in the middle of the city. So I'm not going to go into the base. I'm just going to walk the perimeter. I'm going to look for the tall buildings nearby that have a good view of the inside of this base. I'm going to get a sense of, are there any things like trash cans nearby? Are there service droids that are nearby? What I ended up doing at one point that actually I think was what caused quite a bit of chaos. I think how we actually killed the guy was just a sniper shot to the head. But one of the ways we stopped a lot of the Imperial resistance was we had a, I forget what it was. It's one of the rebel fighters. That's not one of their main, it's not like the X-Wing Y-Wing. It was some other fighter that's in the expanded universe. And I don't remember what it's called. The Q-Wing. Sure. It's what's Scrabble. So (laughs) Q-U-Wing. And so I had the Q-U-Wing and it had a certain number of proton torpedoes. Mm -hmm. And my character had some skills in demolitions or whatever the equivalent was. I don't remember. But I said in advance, I'm going to take two of those proton torpedoes and I'm going to remove the charges. And I re-rigged the charges into bombs. And one of them I placed in a trash can not too far from the base's main gate. And I don't remember what I did with the other one. I honestly just don't remember. But what they were for was, oh, that's what I did, is I put it somewhere else in town. I put it, like, not far off, like a block over. And before... This all sounds like a plan, though. Right, that's different. But but here was the thing: when it was go time, yeah, it's like I set off the bomb over here across town, so they're looking the wrong direction and got the wrong thing going on. We take out the officer. Once the officer's taken out and the stormtroopers are running, we detonate the proton torpedo that's sitting there at the at the entrance. I still think it's different, though. I I, well, and I'm not. Yeah, because because what I'm more talking about is like when somebody walks in the room. Okay. And they're they're like a guard or something. And they say, okay, ah, there's the traitors. And then they pull their pistols on you. You say, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Now, remember, you said that they were across town. And then you also said that they only carry swords. And then remember that I had paid the bellhop to tell me when anybody was coming in. And also, I have a grenade, you know, strapped to the door. And the game is like, well, wait a minute. You have a grenade strapped to the door, and then you produce a note. You said, I remember this note I wrote, and I refuse to show you what it was, but I say I'm oh, doing this, I and did. then I hand it to you. Yeah. Oh, there's a grenade. No, <laughs> there isn't a grenade. <laughs> well, I did that. Okay. Seeing you do that. that. But, no, I, I did that once. And Literally that was... only the bellhop, and that is valid. I know right. if they did it. <laughs> the, I'm going to do an action and not show you. Yeah. I did that with a game master who notoriously cheated sure. me. Like I said, and, I, yeah, I understand why. It, it was, yeah, he notoriously mm-hmm. cheated me. If I had shown him what I'm doing, yeah. then it, it would have been the enemy automatically counters it. No roll, right, right. no nothing. It just it's will, it, it was total bullshit. Yeah. It just won't work, period. And, and that's, I guess, kind of my, mm-hmm. my point is I'm not saying what I did was right. Right. I'm saying what I did, I think, was understandable in the context of the abuse. Mm -hmm. It's like backing a dog into a corner and it bites you. Yeah. Whose fault is it? uh, Yeah. I'm not saying it's right, but I am saying I understand why it happened. Right. And it's the same kind of thing where, and I, I think the big thing for me was when I came away from those situations, 
it definitely took some time for mm-hmm. me to let go of those habits. Absolutely. Of, There's an unclenching period. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like, I I don't trust people because mm-hmm. this has been a this consistent... Is yeah. It wasn't one game once in a con in Vegas where everyone was drunk. Yeah. This was your gaming life for like six yeah. years. This is how gaming went. Yeah. And so that's what I did. We went. You went from the, the crazy, cheesy bullshit of teenage gaming, which is great and wonderful and terrible and horrible, all at the same time, and it's everything it's supposed to be, to the more evolved gaming of your 20s, which is supposed to be the more adult, normal, baseline, fairness, good stuff, but it wasn't. Well, that yeah, that's the thing, is it was much more narrative, it was much more story-oriented, but the Game Master... Was a dick. Well, it gave himself way too much carte blanche. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to a certain extent, it was good-ish. Up to that In point... In our teenage years, it was chaos. It was chaos, <laughs> and it was also a very player-centric sort of gaming, right. where the the chaos and the mayhem of the players drove what was going on in the game because you couldn't keep them on a plot to save your life. Right. And when we got into our 20s, suddenly the game master started telling stories that the characters participate in, but that pendulum was too far on the other side. Yeah. It was almost like a novelization, and the player characters were effectively victims of Mm -hmm. the game master choices. And so I had to start coming up with all of these verbally legalistic ways yeah. of protecting my role in the story. And when we brought that pendulum back to where it ought to be, well, you, know, you were still habits die hard. With the momentum. Yeah. yeah and and I've, I've seen the reverse. I, I've certainly dealt with the reverse where I've had people come into gaming groups out of the earlier stage of gaming where they came from. It's mayhem oriented. It's min maxing. It's dungeon crawls. It's whatever. And suddenly they come into a more balanced story game and they roll out this min-max dungeon crawl mm-hmm. sort of character. And it's like, yeah, that really doesn't fit in this right. game. And there's a relearning period mm-hmm. to be like, you don't have to do this. And in fact, that character is really not going to get you much in this game yeah. because you've put your emphasis in all the wrong places. Eric, yeah. I remember you had said, now I could be wrong, that that for most of your life you did pretty hardcore min-maxing, oh, yeah. lots of oh, crunch yeah. no roll. Yeah. Yep. And that Skies of Glass was, I don't know if it was your first story-focused game, but it was, you, you had mentioned that it was a very different experience. Oh, yeah. it's Skies of Glass, for me, it was very cathartic because it was, and I've said this you know a couple of times, is it's that political game that I've always wanted to play because a group of friends that I play with, not everybody's into the plot driven you know character story development you know doing the character optimization and all that stuff then you know did that all day but when you're talking about you know having an actual story arc for your character and how they mesh with other characters and things like that skies of glass was pretty unique in my my experience that's why i love it so much was it a rough transition did you have to like leave some stuff at the door uh yeah well but because I, I mean, I thought you rolled into it really well. It's... Well, I, what I did was I took a character concept that I'm very familiar with, which mm-hmm. is the kind of, you know, the brute. Right. And I mean, you can play a brute in any scenario. So I knew going into it, I didn't know, I've never, never played with you guys before. So I was like, well, it'll be kind of safe to play kind of the, the, the doltish brute. 
So that way, because I didn't know the setting, I mm-hmm. you know I hadn't played with you guys before, so I kind of wanted to fill that one role and then yeah. try to expand from that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then as the game started to progress, and now it's with Motomar, I feel like it's really hard to play him because I want to express you know deeper plots and and right. character development that and he has like that he has this to, this yeah. limitation. And I'm and so that's why I'm really looking forward to the next step that we're taking. Yeah, it was kind of a culture shock, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm listening to you guys interact with each other. And 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 anybody who doesn't listen to this guy's glass game, my very first impression is I'm sitting here and I'm watching a chess match between Dan and Chad. That's <laughs> all I'm watching. And I'm like, I've never played in a game like this before. I've never where we're. we're the players were doing things three steps ahead of the actual things that were going on. And I was like, wow, this is, they're in this weird sink that I don't know if I could ever even jump into. Mm. So, yeah. And I, I, that's the kind of, when you want to do an intrigue game, that's what you want. You you want that, that level of involvement and the, all the players and the game master all really focused on the game itself and not surfing the net and, you know, dinking around or, you know, whatever. It's very refreshing, and now I, it's one of those games that I put as a benchmark for what I want mm. moving forward. Yeah, well, I I thought you did great in it. Uh, oh, I appreciate I, that. I thought it was really neat. I thought I think that was a good idea too to kind of you know roll it back to to what we're talking about here. Of if you are in that situation where you feel you have to do all of that stuff. But maybe you're no longer in a group where that's necessary or you're no longer in a situation where it's necessary. If you still are in that situation, I would say stop doing all of the padding and maybe try and have a conversation. Try and talk to the game master. Maybe see if a couple other players see think that the game master is being too rough, too hard, yeah. too novelization, as you put it. And if you are in a new group where you're coming from that tradition where you really had to layer it on to even get the most minimal amount of maybe success. I like what you did where I'm going to play a template, a a character, a a type of person that I know that I can really interface with, but they're going to at least at first kind of take a step back. They're not going to take a back seat. They're not going to, you know, not be involved, but they're in a place where they can kind of get the lay of the land. They can observe what's going on. And once they're comfortable with that lay of the land, then they can insert themselves and be incredibly effective. I think what I would do as a player, if I was on the receiving end of this, because we talked about the game master's Mm -hmm. angle is I would try to speak out of the, out of the game moment. And what I don't mean, when you say from a player's perspective, like you have a player who does the pad. No, so let's say I am the player and I feel like I have to do this, get a fair Mm -hmm. shake in the game. That I'm not just doing this to be a douche. I'm not doing, I, you know, I have some legitimate reason, at least seems legitimate to me, why I'm doing this. I think what I would do is pause the game and just say to the game master, look, I want a fair shot at this. What is it I need to do? Mm-hmm. You know, because look, I can spend the next five or 10 minutes laying out for you this huge complex plan, or we can get on with the game. Just cut it to me straight. What do I have to do to get a fair roll at this? As a game master, if someone asked me that, it would be A, wonderful, and B, horrifying. Because it would be horrifying because it signals to me, oh, crap, 
I am leaning way too hard on these guys. I have been doing something wrong, and now they think I'm an asshole right. because I'm stepping on them. But it would be wonderful because it's like, oh, my God, now I know. And they want to engage because when I see someone doing all that padding as a game master, the only thing I do want to do is just say, okay, stop, stop, stop. What do you want? Right. Cut all of that fluff out. And again, we're not talking plans. We're not talking, well, detail-oriented. We're talking just the padding and the trap cards and the escape plans and all that crap. What do you want? Well, I want to take his gun and point it at him and make him tell me what he wants. Do you think you're pretty good at doing that? Well, yeah, because I'm in it. No, no, no. Yes or no, you think you're pretty good at doing that? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good at doing it. Good. Give me a roll. You have advantage or you have this low number to, to yeah. get over? Here's, Boom. Here's your target number. Boom. Is that low? Do you think? I wouldn't even ask it to think that's fair. I would lowball the number. Yeah. Because we're all being honest. And I want him to trust me that I will not hurt him. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, I think it's a matter of working well together with your GM and your players, communicating. Don't underestimate the power of just going up to someone and being honest. Okay, my last GM was a shed. Please check me before I wreck myself <laughs> from those bad habits. Oh my God, if somebody came up to me and said that, oh, I'd love it. I would too, because it's a nice cube quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would... Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And Because I feel like I could get a dialogue with it. Because we talk about tools that game masters have. One of the tools a game master needs in their toolbox is ice cube lyrics. Is ice cube lyrics, but the other one is an ally amongst the players. Because if they come to you and they say, "Well, you know, could you cut me some slack this situation?" I'd say, "Cool, man. I can do that." If I'm leaning too hard on you guys or if I'm stepping out of line, can you like pass me a note and tell me because I got all this stuff going on I might not notice. That sets up a rapport with that player. So once you get that rapport going, you can start working with that player. You can pass them a note and say, hey, if you open up this door that they just keep ignoring, it's going to be awesome. Trust me. Because the plot's behind the door and the players keep ignoring it, even though you've literally written the word plot on the door. <laughs> they refuse to open the door. It's a trap. It's a trap. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's always a trap. But yeah, it, it's, I mean, I think that we could do an entire episode on a game master recruiting a player as an ally oh, yeah. within a game, like a hidden ally. The player mole. That's the right, player mole. mole. Right. I mean, and why you do how to do it wrong, what do you do it? Yeah, maybe, maybe next week. All right. Once again, check the show notes. There's going to be a link there to the There and Back Again Kickstarter, the essay anthology. Is that what you call an essay? Collection, I don't know. Uh, Isn't to that friend? An essay? At, wait, what? Never mind. Okay. He didn't get it. No, he didn't. I didn't, apparently. <laughs> uh, I finally made a joke Dan didn't get. <laughs> yes. Oh, an essay collection. Essay. essay like yes. is in the Spanish essay. Right, right. right. There's, a, there's, a really, there's actually a really funny South Park with that, where Cartman was hiring Mexicans from Home Depot to do his homework. <laughs> and at one point, they said, we need you to write uh, write essays. Mm -hmm. And so they all wrote their essays. Yeah. And oh, the letters, letters to their, their friends. friends. Nice. And so they all end up failing the class. But anyways, uh, also to Fear the Boots Patreon. Once again, we hope you'll get in on that for a ton of extra content. Things have been simplified. 
We've got two backer levels, or you can come up with a custom amount if you like. That's up to you. And beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.